All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of Bruce Lee beating Bolo's ass, and lots of, if you're going to eat in New York Chinatown, you better bring your boys with you. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs> Yo, Mikey, how you doing, man? Doing great, Seagong. How you doing? Good, good, good. You know, uh, the audience's reception to you taking over Dre's job, I know, in the last episode, because it was special, it was our two-year anniversary, so we had Andrew, our editor, be the, uh, should we still call it Dre for a day, being that Dre's, you know? No, I mean, he was... I, I, I gave him an offer to come back, mm -hmm. all right? But then he, he did that whole thing with Kanye once again at Mar-a-Lago, and I was like... Yo, are you even serious about getting back on this podcast? I, All right, the the whole streaking through Mar-a-Lago, like wh how how what what with with Kanye? How am I how am I supposed to be like? Yeah, I, this guy should be on a kung fu podcast, especially one of this status. He's he, look, he, he's uh, you know he's long gone in my opinion. Right, it's a conspiracy theory. He thinks everyone's out to get him, and he thinks his behavior is okay. Yes, and it's not okay, all right? No, you should not streak in the middle of the night with Kanye at Mar-a-Lago. You shouldn't, no, all right? It should be the middle of the day. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Otherwise, how are you going to get any real press from that, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's just doing it all wrong, as usual. Yes, all right. So anyway, I mean, I hope he's doing well. He's obviously not in a very good place. Um, I mean, in his mind, he's in a good place. He's in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, but still. I mean, the reviews are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that the uh, best way to support the Kung Fu Genius is on Patreon. Uh, Patreon supporters get episodes uh, earlier than than regular viewers. Who you, episodes usually come out on Monday for our Patreons. They usually come out on, on the previous Friday, occasionally on Saturday if I'm a little bit behind. Um, and uh, in addition to getting episodes early, uh, higher levels of support can get your name in the uh, description of the episode. There's also a baller level where you get your own private episode with me. And um, also, as I've uh, talked about a few times, for those of you who are interested in my Instagram uh, subscriber content, um, you can subscribe to me on Instagram for five bucks a month, or uh, you can just subscribe on Patreon, and I put that stuff on there too. So Patreon is kind of the best one where you kind of get everything. Yeah, we love our Patreon supporters. And Patreons also get first dibs on questions for Ask Me Anything episodes, as will be the case today. We have a Patreon question. We do have a Patreon question. Mm, I think we have a couple of Patreon questions by the looks of things. I think we only have one. Oh, yes, you're absolutely right. You yeah, know I know, what? I know. <laughs> Honestly, I'm a bit jet lagged. Yeah, just Mikey back. just got, by, by the way, it's Mikey Dean's birthday today. So by the time this comes out, it won't be his birthday anymore. Yeah, it's going to be my birthday in two weeks, but yes. it's my birthday actually today. Yes. So uh, happy birthday to you. Thank All you, right. Seagull. The new, replace, new permanent replacement for Dre. Absolutely. Yeah, I just got back from the UK after... Um, a two-week visit. It was interesting. Yeah, but by, by just getting back, like, a few hours ago. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And yeah. you came here, you nutter. <laughs> I know. I All came, right. I actually came here last night, set up everything, went home, slept for a few hours because I was only jet-lagged, and then I came back. Yes. that is dedication to That is dedication baby. to the KFG. Absolutely. All right, here we go. Okay, so what cool. do we got on Patreon? All right, so Patreon question off the bat. Oscar Menendez. Happy New Year, a non-Dryson hypothetical. Finally. 
Yeah, always, but they're always Dreisen-esque, aren't they? That's the problem. I think the problem is that Dreisen has kind of hijacked the whole hypothetical question on this podcast. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Okay. It will always be compared to, to him. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Um, have you ever imagined what a fight between Lee and Bolo would have looked like instead of Roper? Uh-huh. Say hi to the crew and no to Phil Collins' music. I love this guy. <laughs> He's my favorite. We need to give him more. This is awesome. Thank you, Oscar. Yeah, it's weird. I've had ABBA stuck in my head. As much as I would prefer to have Phil Collins or Genesis stuck in my head when I see you, so I can just start rattling off those you, some of your favorite lyrics. Well, I mean, I've got to say, in, in terms of ABBA, I'm glad when it came to a co-host, you took a chance on me. All right, Fernando. So anyway... <laughs> uh, the uh, it's a great question. So in the uh, and I think even as a kid, I was a bit disappointed when I saw Enter the Dragon, and you see big sturdy Bolo Young, who we met last year. Oh yeah, who's absolutely. still big and sturdy. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think in your mind there was kind of this idea that uh, Bruce Lee's gonna whoop that ass at some point, because you see him, he's like Bolo to a certain degree is more formidable than Han. And then you're like, yeah, I'm sure at some point towards the end of the movie, Bruce Lee's gonna beat that ass. And it doesn't happen. They instead give Bolo, spoiler alert, uh, the um, somewhat unsatisfying fate of having to lose to Roper, i.e. John Saxon's character, in, in, in a very, um, yeah, in a very kind of non-satisfying kind of way. Yeah, I, would, I, I mean, I actually watched it again recently because I probably watched that movie probably at least twice a year now. And while it's great that, like, kind of Roper, you know, like, spoiler alert, bites him on the leg, gets up, starts, like, kind of beating him up, I never understood exactly how he managed to kill him. It's like he kicked him in the thigh. Yes. And then apparently that, I guess, like, ruptured the femoral artery or whatever it is down yes. there. And he you just have no idea. This is some deadly, you know, Roper... It was a karate black belt from the 70s. Karate black belts from the 70s were different than karate black belts today. They knew all sorts of kind of strikes. You know, if you hit someone right here with the palm heel on the nose, their, their nose is gonna, their nose bone is gonna go oh, yeah. into their brain and they're gonna die, right? See, karate guys nowadays don't know that shit. Karate guys back in the 70s knew that shit. They mm -hmm. knew if they kicked you right at a certain angle in your, uh, in your leg, they would rupture your femoral or artery you would first, before you died, you would forget all math you had ever learned, which is just a weird consequence, and then you would basically shortly after that die. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's a little bit of that, but I think, you know, a, a part of it is I kind of explained, um, I think even on the last episode, is that Warner Brothers was a little hesitant to fully pull the trigger on having a Chinese lead in one of their films. I mean, this is Warner Brothers, this is 1973. And so that's why when you see the original posters for Enter the Dragon, John Saxon got equal billing to Bruce Lee on those posters, oh, wow. which is crazy because no one ever think, when you think of Enter the Dragon, it, it, it is for many uh, the quintessential Bruce Lee movie, even though I mean, it's not the quintessential Bruce Lee movie for everyone. It's not the quintessential Bruce Lee movie for me, but for many people, you think Enter the Dragon, you think Bruce Lee, you don't think, oh yeah, that's a John Saxon movie and Bruce Lee's in it too. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, it's just that John Saxon was somewhat established at that point and they needed to have a, a white guy on there, too, to kind of, you know, not scare the 
uh, I suppose, the investors. Like, oh, no, no, it's okay. We got John Saxon in this movie, right? Um, by the way, you know John Saxon passed away in 2020? Oh, wow. He, wow, that's amazing. Oh, you didn't know that? I knew. I mean, I figured it was just a bit further back. No, no, no. He this is much more recently. And um, he uh, is buried in Lakeview Cemetery in Seattle like Bruce Lee. Oh, wow. Yeah, he does. Awesome. I, I guess, you know, because... Um, he, he had already acted before um, Enter the Dragon. He had done some films. But kind of post-Enter the Dragon, he didn't have, like, a huge career outside. He was in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. He played yeah. the father. And he had, done, he had done some other... He had done some TV and some, done some other things as well. But his post-Enter uh, the Dragon career, I, I think he was probably overshadowed by the fact that he was in a Bruce Lee movie. And I think for a very long time, he was probably mostly just recognized as that guy who's in Enter the Dragon. I can imagine that that was probably the main reason why, or the main reason like when people would recognize him, they'd be like, yo, Roper. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he, he probably felt to a certain degree that he, you know, th that might have stunted his ability to um, get other roles. On the other hand, he never seemed like he was bitter about it. Like he definitely embraced the fact, and he was always very respectful of Bruce Lee and think about it now after, I suppose was one of his final wishes was be, to be buried in the same cemetery as Bruce Lee. So now if you ever go to Lakeview Cemetery on Capitol Hill in Seattle to see Bruce Lee, uh, you can uh, visit uh, John Saxon. I believe Jesse Glover is also buried there as well, although oh, wow. I'm not sure. And Ruby Chow, oh, wow. the woman that he worked at her Chinese restaurant. She's yes. also there with a very small grave. She used to actually be a very big deal in Seattle. Bruce Lee was just someone who was washing dishes in a restaurant. Now Bruce Lee has a monument, and she just has this little flat plaque there. It's interesting. <laughs> it's funny, uh, going back to what you were saying about um, John Saxon being the white guy on the poster, funny thing is John Saxon was actually Italian, and he changed his name to John Saxon because he wanted to get more roles in Hollywood in earlier on in his career. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and that makes sense. My memory, and, and then the other thing, just to say, my memory of John Saxon before Enter the Dragon, because I was too young to see it, obviously, right. when it came out, is I remember him in when they were doing all of those Star Wars knockoffs in the early 80s, like The Last Starfighter, and there was a film called Battle Beyond the Stars, uh -huh. where the main character is John Boy from Little House on the Prairie, oh. and John Saxon plays the main bad guy alien that's trying to destroy the world. No kidding. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I've completely missed that entire genre of films. Oh, it's... What, it's, is, that, what is that one called? Battle Beyond the Stars. Battle Beyond the Stars. Is it is it worth watching, or is it just terrible? I mean, it's worth watching... Is it terrible, but still good to watch? You, you're going to get a massive... I mean, I'd watch it again from a nostalgic point of view, and just be like oh because it's just like literally like you know remember no one expected star wars to blow up quite as big as it did right. and then everyone trying to jumped on that bandwagon sure. just like making with inferior products yeah. pretty sure that's i think james garner's in that as well as a cowboy space pilot no shit yeah like it's got uh -huh. a pretty decent two, two people who've acted with bruce lee oh yes that's yeah. right i forgot james yeah. garner was yeah 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 james garner from marlowe he was yes. yeah bruce lee he was in two scenes with him yeah mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. and also um carol o'connor archie bunker Yes. That when, when Bruce Lee smashes um, Marlowe's office and then he puts his glasses on and walks out, he actually bumps shoulders with Carol O'Connor, Archie Bunker. <laughs> All right. Can you imagine? Archie Bunker That's is amazing. in a scene with Bruce Lee. All right. Who would ever think about that? Right. Crazy. Wow, right. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, back to the question. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that would have been cool. I mean, no disrespect to the late, great John Saxon, but who wouldn't have wanted to see 
Bruce and Bolo go at it. What we have from Enter the Dragon are a lot of behind the scenes photos um, that Bruce took where he was doing moves on Bolo, like where he was doing kicks and stuff. There's even, a, I think, a scene where, uh, a photo, I should say, where Bolo is picking up Wung An, who's Bruce Lee's butler, wearing the yellow karate Han suit, and Bruce is like giving him a sidekick or something like that. And they shot all these kind of fun photos, but, uh, I, but not a video. Right. But how cool would that have been to see... Um, that the two of them go at it. That would have been, been amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, the thing is, it's like I would have loved to have seen it, but I guess because I've seen the movie so many times, it doesn't really ever factor into my mind when I watch it now. Like I know that what's going to happen is that he Sax, you know, John Saxon won't fight Bruce Lee, so they're obviously going right. to give him the big guy. You know. Right. I mean? Right. 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 Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I suppose it, if in from a narrative perspective, it makes sense. Like Han is so good. Like, Bruce is the only guy who can take care of him. Because even, like, the super tough second guy, at least, like, John Saxon's character can take care of him. Yeah. But wouldn't be able to handle Han. Only Lee can handle Han. Do you remember yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, back when we were uh, downstairs in the studio, um, uh, Dre asked, what was Bruce Lee's character's name in Enter the Dragon? And I go... <laughs> Lee, <laughs> just laughed so hard. <laughs> yeah. One because well, not not so much that he didn't know that, but just also like it was just what like like how much creativity went into going like all right, Bruce Lee's character and Enter the Dragon. What's his name going to be? Uh, Lee. How about Lee? Good, got it. All right, and then like <laughs> that's about all that committee decided that day, mm -hmm. and then got paid a ton of money for it. Went out and got themselves cocaine and hookers. Of course, I mean on that very small end to the dragon budget. <laughs> yeah. a little, there were little hookers and little cocaine. This is very little. <laughs> all right. Okay. okay. All right. What else we got? Next right. question. Excellent. Um, wow, we seem to be got. Uh, what's the word? What they call it? It's more of a statement, I think. A statement, okay. We get those uh, uh, in the comments all the time. Oh, well, okay. So, um, Bill, um, asterisk, 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 asterisk. I think there's about eight asterisks there. So. Oh, it's just not nine asterisks after Bill. Because that guy's an asshole. Yeah, I think it might be nine. Really? He's no, an asshole. No, 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 no. If it's only the eight one, then I think he's okay. But oh, the okay, one with cool. nine, that guy's a pure prick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. you're right. It's the eight one. We're okay, cool, okay, you know good, good, okay, good. So. Yeah, but then never take a question for the guy with nine. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. That's and good don't even get me started on the guy with ten. There's a guy with ten. Yes, there's a guy with ten. <sighs> and he's, he's a flaming asshole. <laughs> yes. Okay, so Bill with the eight asterisks. He says, I do not have a problem with your co-host accent. Oh, so your new co-host accent. Oh, okay. I was going to say Dre's accent. I have a problem with that accent. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Um, I do not have a problem with your new co-host accent. He's doing a fine job. Thank you very much. I appreciate you, Bill, with the eight asterisks. Guess you're not going to so say you, about that after you clowned so my accent. So af after we... I never clown your accent. I find it very arrogant. Uh, el <laughs> el elegant. Sorry, elegant. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I think it's great. I think it's. I think your accent is great. It adds a little bit of, you know, punch to the podcast because it's not just my silky smooth voice. We now have, you know, yeah, your audio chocolate. My audio chocolate. We now have your audio vanilla. <laughs> you had a nice, nice it's, twist here. It's as vanilla as it gets. <laughs> it is the origin of vanilla. Your oh, accent. Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> 
mean, technically not wrong, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Um, and we have another. Yeah, you know what's weird? So, uh, oh. on that point, before yes. we go on to the first question or the, the next question. Uh huh. Um, you know, given this whole Kanye, Alex Jones, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene thing with Dre, okay? Yeah. Uh, they make a cute couple, by the way. Getting caught together like that. I just can't believe it, right? Um, especially doing what they were doing. It's like illegal in f- at least 49 states. Um, obviously, we have to distance ourselves from such a maniac. Yeah. All right? So I thought, you know, we're looking who can be uh, a suitable co-host. And we're like, well, there's the sound guy. He's just right there, right? Who chimes in from time to time. Absolutely. So we go, okay, fine. It's easier for me. The sound guy is also the co-host. That means we could cut our uh, uh, production. Um, uh, I, I suppose or cut our um, staff by one third. <laughs> <laughs> and, and have kind of killed two birds with one stone. And then, but obviously, all jokes aside, you know, we, you know, Dre has can come in on some days. He can't come in on others, but we have to record a few more podcasts when I'm, you know, not here or whatever, uh, or he's not here. And um, the, we we played it as a goof for a couple of weeks, and the reaction was very funny because so many people put their f- feet in their mouths because they were people like, "Yo, man, I'm piecing out on this podcast if there's no Dre." All right. <laughs> And always the guys who say that, they're not the guys who, like, comment regularly. They're not our Patreon supporters. They're not the people who really hardcore support this podcast. They're always, like, you know, an anonymous YouTube handle, ChuckleSticks49. Yo, man, if Dre's not here, I'm out, okay? Don't forget to unsubscribe on your way out, okay? Like, like are, you thre- are you threatening me, oh, sir, who doesn't even, like, really support us, right? Um, and then the, uh, on the other hand, and which is funny because Dre is not out. He's just out for a few episodes, yeah, right? Absolutely. So it ju- it's just kind of funny to watch someone get so bent out of shape about a big nothing burger, right? Mm-hmm. Second, then the other people are like, yo, man, Dre totally sucked. Mikey's so much better. And I go, <laughs> oh, God, and Dre, when Dre comes back, you're going to feel like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's just been so funny kind of reading the comments and biting my lip going like, oh, my God. Dude, first of all, Dre's coming back. You need to chill. Second of all, Dre's coming back. You're going to be disappointed. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is I was getting texts from some of, the, some of our friends from partner schools asking if anything had like kind of gone Dude. down. <laughs> uh, I, I taught my uh, my senior class here on uh, Wednesday. So these are my senior students who've been around for a long time. And our boy Kess, the author of the Kung Fu Genius Rap Song, he's uh-huh. like, he came up to me. He's like, yo, man, what's going on between you and your boy Dre? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what? He's like, yo, you booted him off the podcast? I'm like, dude, it's a joke. <laughs> and he's like, oh, like even our students who've been around for a long time and know us. And, and our podcast listens. When we were saying Dre, dude, first of all, all right, I, I, I read in some comments, people go, yo, I Dre, I, I Googled Dre and uh, Kanye and I couldn't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, our work here is done. Yeah, I know. And, I, and, I, and I'm thinking like, and what did we learn? <laughs> when a somewhat unserious kung fu podcast talks about the co-host leaving because of a controversy with Alex Jones and Kanye. Yeah, that might not be real. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, 
it's been kind of funny. But yeah. uh, but you know, for for everyone who's like worried about Dre, um, Dre uh, has to, Dre can basically only he lives out in Jersey now, which we've talked about before, and he can basically only come in on Saturdays for his training and for recording of the podcast. But I was out of New York for three and a half weeks, so we had to record a bunch of episodes before I left. He, he can only come on Saturdays, which meant we had to record a bunch of episodes during the week, so we just use you, and we thought to, like, to do this goof. But it's kind of gotten out of hand where I'm like worried like people are going to start revolting. <laughs> so I just feel like I need to like, let people know, yo, Dre, Dre's my boy. When you see Dre, rest assured, we recorded that episode on a Saturday. Oh, yeah. When at you like see, 7 o'clock in the morning. At 7 in the morning after I taught him a private lesson. And rest assured, anytime you don't see Dre, the, the big grand conspiracy is that episode was recorded on a day that is Sunday through Friday. All right. <laughs> That's it. All right. You can all chill a bit. Yeah, this, is the, this is the bit where I miss the pandemic most when we could just come in on Mondays and just kind of just tear through. Yes. We were just like, or any day, because we were around and- Yeah, you know, we weren't doing shit. Yeah, we're All just right. able to just like, if we're vibing, we're like, hey man, are we in the mood? And some of our best episodes came out of us just Yeah, our best wild. episodes are when we're not trying. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know I mean? Just okay. at the end of it, just go- Like this. Yeah. All Absolutely. Right. Okay. Let's, let's go for the next one. Yeah, there's, oh, this, one's a, this one's a doozy. We love this one. It's another, it's another comment. Oh, I love comments. Okay, so, um, and 100% believable, by the way. Okay. Okay. The art of aphorism. The art of aphorism or aphorism. Uh, aphorism, aphorism, aphorism. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to... Potato, potato. Yeah, tomato, tomato. England, England. Favor, favor. Uh-huh. With a U or without. Yeah, no, no, there's no U in those words. All right. No Tire U. is not spelled with a Y. <laughs> All right. The, tr the trunk is not the boot. All right. You drive uh -huh. a the British hood. car. The hood is not the bonnet. I don't drive a British car. I drive, uh, I drive a German car. All right. The, mini, the Mini Cooper is owned by BMW now, God, sir. All right. Okay, fine. It has the same steering wheel as most BMWs. It is not a <laughs> British car. So what if you could transport back in time for a front row seat into the life and legacy of one of the most respected Wing Chun masters in history? Gong Sao Wong, a tribute, direct students on Sifu Wong Shunung offers you just that. Through a series of exclusive conversations, 25 direct students share anecdotes, reflections, and personal stories offering in-depth understanding of the man behind the legend. Order your copy today across 12 Amazon marketplaces with free shipping. I absolutely love this book, and I think you'll find it an indispensable part of your collection. I can't recommend it enough. Get yours today. Go to Amazon, type in Gong Sao Wong, and there you go. Anyway, back to Kung Fu. Mm. <laughs> the art of aphorism. I have beaten up two MMA guys by using Wing Chun. At the same time? He doesn't specify. Oh, okay, okay. All right. What are you talking about? Question mark, exclamation mark. Fuck you. No, what is he talking about? I mean, that, that's, the whole of, that's the whole of the statement. So uh, I, I, the only thing I can assume is uh, I talked about Wing Chun guys getting beat up by MMA guys or Wing Chun guys not being prepared to fight MMA guys and trying to fight MMA guys. And this guy got butthurt about it. Yes. Well, I mean, can you imagine if you're a Wing Chun guy? All right. Now, I know some very good Wing Chun fighters, like some real tough guys who have, you know, fought with MMA guys and fought in MMA and also fought successfully, like some real, real tough dudes, right? So it's not out of the realm of possibility that a well-rounded Wing Chun dude who trains with MMA guys has also gotten the better of 
some MMA guys. We're not talking about at the UFC level. We're just saying MMA uh, as a collective, right? Uh, that's fine. Uh, but what's weird about this uh, comment is that, um, well, one, as always, it's an anonymous dude without a name, which is already like, all right, the art of aphorism beat up to MMA guys. That is not a sentence that sounds like it's true. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing, too, is if you were, in fact, a Wing Chun guy who beat up two MMA guys and you take issue with what I said, I don't think that that would be your reaction. You would be like, hey, you know, Mr. Alex Richter, um, as a matter of fact, I've had two bouts with MMA guys and I was able to defeat them both times. Here's the video. You wouldn't go like, uh, I beat up two MMA guys. What are you talking about? Fuck you. Um, that comment written in that way pretty much tells me you've never even been in a room with an MMA guy, <laughs> let alone beat up two of them. All right. Um, if, because, hey, look, I'm always open to being corrected. All right. The average Wing Chun person trains for self-defense. They train for hobby and they train for fun. They don't train professionally. And that is part of the reason why some of those guys not knowing the difference between training professionally as a fighter or training seriously as a sport martial arts practitioner and going to your Wing Chun class twice a week, this is not the same thing, all right? And uh, there's always this pushback because if I say something like that, people think that that is some kind of tacit um, uh, accusation about Wing Chun not being effective against MMA or something like that. And I'm just saying, no, 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 I'm talking about people who practice Wing Chun versus people who practice MMA and the level of seriousness. Um, I'm not talking about the techniques. I'm not talking about, I mean, look, I'm a Wing Chun teacher. I mean, this is what I do, right? But I'm, I also think that what a lot of Chinese Kung Fu lacks is just a slight sense of honesty and a little bit of self-deprecating humor. All right, in the age of MMA, you guys are the ones wearing silk pajamas doing movements in the air, and you get upset when people don't take you seriously, um, I think you need to look at yourself a little bit and calm the fuck down and take yourself a little bit less seriously. Um, uh, if, if someone did, in fact, beat up two MMA guys with Wing Chun, I would expect them to go like, well, you know, I get your point about most Wing Chun guys not being able or not being prepared to defeat MMA, but let me tell you my story about how I did, in fact, defeat two MMA fighters Oh, by the way, here's the video of me doing it so you can see it. Like, that would be the normal response of someone. Not this kind of temper tantrum upset with literally, he got upset with what I said. But he's claiming that he has done the thing that counters what I said. Why would, you be a, why would he be upset if he is the exception, right? It would seem that if he was in fact telling the truth, his comment would be phrased a lot more differently and a lot less angrily. If you're a Wing Chun guy who beat up two MMA guys, why are you so angry, bro? Yeah. Why wouldn't you just be happy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I always think it like brings it back to that whole idea of like going back to what's been said on numerous times over previous podcasts. It's like when this guy's saying this, right? Mm -hmm. What does he actually mean? It's like because in the actual adrenaline-fueled moments of a fight, is he like maybe saying, suggesting that like, you know, fight starts, he goes, ah, 
Right. right? And then he just chain punched the crap out of somebody. Oh, some unsuspecting you know, MMA guy. Yeah, did like a Lance Dijon, just like kind of maybe a couple of elbows. Oh, I don't think this just, guy knows what Lance Dijon is. He I doesn't know. strike me as a sophisticated Wing Chun person by any stretch of the imagination. Me neither. That's why I'm, I'm bringing right. some more of my basic knowledge up, right? You know what I mean? But like this is, that in, is this in his mind is that when he beat these guys up, and was it in a pub? I was at a post pub looking at my bird card. No, I, I, I assume this guy is talking about on the under on the undercard of a local MMA event. Yes, of course, a very very local MMA event and a very very undercard of that local MMA event. Yeah, in his basement. Against in his basement. Yeah, his mind. Yes, against yes. his mind. Yes, yes. you know what this mean? guy's another fantasist like uh, Vic Moore and Frank Dukes. It's <laughs> Frank Dukes isn't a fantasist. How dare you! All right, next question. <laughs> Okay, so, Tai Chi Kuo. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So lots of great questions for us. Uh, absolutely. Okay. As always, thank you for answering my question. I still remember shortly after my family moved to America and wanted to take martial arts lessons, my dad having a sit down with the instructor to suss out whether their Joe Schmo suburban karate school had any Tong criminal underworld connections. Any interest in doing a podcast series on Kung Fu New York and the Tong Wars? Wow. That actually sounds pretty cool. But I don't that really is pretty it. cool. So uh, I don't know if I'm the most qualified to do that. I've read a few books, namely one called Tong Wars, uh, about you know the history of kind of the, the various Tongs fighting each other. Now, basically, um, Chinese Tongs are essentially triads, but usually they're called tongs when they're overseas. Now, of course, in Asia, there are some groups that are also called tongs. But for the most part, the, the, the term tong generally uh, was used for a group, usually um, kind of organized crime or a gang, but when it was overseas, stateside, or, or, or in, in a country outside of China. So we're basically talking about triads but we're talking about the triads in New York and so on. Um, the history of Tongs in New York is fascinating because we have one of the oldest Chinatowns, if not the oldest, I don't know. Uh, I think, I don't know, San Francisco's, well, I'm not 100% I feel like sure. San Francisco's got like Francisco's, three Chinatowns as well. No, we're talking about the main one there. Yeah. Right? yeah, so, but either way, the New York Chinatown is pretty damn old. And they're, they have a rich history of gangs and triads and things like that. Um, you know, you have a lot of people who left Hong Kong or China who belong to those groups and they essentially established those groups over here. Tongs originally formed as these kind of meeting places. Like, for example, everyone who's surnamed Leung, you would have like the Leung Tong. And then people who happen to have the name Leung, they would like join this Tong and it was kind of like a fraternity of like, oh, we're all surnamed Leung or whatever. And some of these grew into some kind of organized crime factions. And then you had other tongs like the Green Dragons and the Flying Dragons here in New York. There are a couple films about those things, but I don't know how accurate they are. Um, maybe I'll talk to my good friend, Sifu Carl Albright. He's been around for a hot minute. He's been teaching martial arts in New York since the 60s. Oh, wow. And he's got all sorts of crazy stories. He might know better than... And there, there are a few people here. Like I wouldn't, I've read a number of books, and if we were going to do an episode on it, I could go back to my books, take a bunch of notes, and I could put together a pretty cohesive episode, but it would basically be the KFG doing a book report, as opposed to like, like I'm not telling anything from firsthand knowledge, right? 
Uh, I do know that, especially in the 70s and 80s, a lot of martial arts or some martial arts schools, Chinese martial arts schools, had some associations with um, the Tongs. Um, I think I told this story once on the podcast, but uh, you know, many of our listeners are new. Many of them may have missed some of the old ones. Um, uh, this is kind of a crazy story told to me by uh, Takwa Eng, who's a sifu in the uh, tiger, black tiger style teaches down in Chinatown. He's one of uh, Wai Hong's top guys. He's been around forever. And I, uh, a few years ago, I, I, I would go to his gym every now and again and kind of ask him some questions about things and pick his brain a little bit about different things. And I asked him about Tang Sang, who has kind of been this pet project of mine to find out about him for a very long time. And he knew Tang Sang. He had met Tang Sang. Okay. And then he, yeah, b- back in the day. Because cool. Tang Sang had come to the States a few times. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tang Sang, for, for the three people in our audience who, who don't know, Tang Sang was a uh, private student of Grandmaster Yip Man. Um, but uh, he was also a very high-ranking police detective in Hong Kong. And he was a high-ranking police detective pre-1974, uh, which means that he was a high-ranking police detective before they founded the um, Internal Council Against Corruption. All right. Uh, or independent counsel against corruption. I always get that wrong. Independent counsel against corruption, which is basically internal affairs. Because until that point, the Hong Kong police had rampant, to use one of your British words, graft and, <laughs> uh, um, you know, corruption. So basically, a lot of the high ranking detectives, they were taking bribes from local crime lords to look the other way and to let them do their thing. But they were taking a cut. So, you know, some of those detectives were taking a cut of the prostitution business in this corner over here. Some from vice and drugs, like Loy Locke um, was very close to, uh, I think, Limpy Ho, who was like the number one heroin runner. So Loy Locke was like a millionaire taking a cut from essentially heroin money, and he was a detective. And Tang Sang, uh, who was a private student of Yip Man, was also one of these so-called corrupted cops, but he was a huge martial arts fan and uh, um, a very interesting character whom I really tried in, in, in earnest to write a book about, but just kept running into dead ends in terms of really finding any information that's worth anything. Um, so in 1974, Tang Sang had already been uh, uh, retired for about uh, four or five years. I think he retired in 1969. And in 1974, the Independent Council Against Corruption was formed, and they started investigating all of these corrupt cops. Now, Tang Sang was already retired at that point. But by 1976, 1977, so just a few years after it was formed, uh, they started poking their nose around Tang Sang. They started going after the old retired cops who were corrupt. And they essentially arrested him and took him in for questioning, and then he paid bail to get out paid the equivalent of, you know, almost 100,000 US dollars in cash wow. and just left. <laughs> just and then um, when he was going to come back for his you know, second court date or whatever, Tang Sang disappeared. And Tang Sang uh, left for Taiwan because Taiwan does not have extradition with Hong Kong. So he left to Taiwan and he basically ended up living in Taiwan for the rest of his life, which would only be about 10 more years. I think he died in early 87, I think January 87. I can't even get an exact date on his death. I know that he was alive when William Chang uh, was beaten up by Imin, because uh, after, um, after that whole thing happened, 
Tang Sang actually wrote a letter about that. And he was saying, like, you know, uh, good riddance that William Chang got beat up because he's been lying about Yip Man for all these years and blah, blah, blah. And Tang Sang was, like, really happy that <laughs> Imin beat up uh, William Chang and wrote this letter basically saying, like, everyone in Hong Kong, like, knows that, you know, these uh, William Chang's claims are, are not true or whatever. I'm, I'm just telling you what was written in the letter. And then so I and, and that was sep that, that, that was in September of 1986. And then there was an article in a Hong Kong newspaper about Tang Sang dying or having had passed away. And that article was at the end of January of 87. So he had to have died somewhere between January and uh, Emin beating up William Chung in September of the previous year. Uh, but I can't find I can't find any like I've tried so hard. but It's just so difficult to find any of these kind of records. Anyway, at one point in the 70s or early 80s, Tang Sang also considered moving to New York of all places. Wow. So because he, you know, was kind of an international man of means and mystery and had money, and you know, one of the places he considered moving to was New York. So he came to New York, and he met with Wai Hong, uh, who's kind of the grandfather of Kung Fu in Chinatown and the Sifu of Tat Lying. And you have to imagine that in Hong Kong, Tang Sang was one of the most well-connected people, all right? If uh, he had connections to a number of triads, he was a high-ranking detective, and if Tang Sang was in Hong Kong, all right, uh, pardon my French, uh, no one would f*** with him, because not only was he a detective, but he had all the connections to the guys you don't want to mess with. So Tang Sang was, he was quite literally the guy you don't mess with, yeah. all right? But the thing with Hong Kong and Chinese gangs is that that's all territorial. No one would mess with him in Hong Kong because of his connections there. But when he came to New York, he was in Chinatown. This is the story that Siva Tatwa told me. Tang Sang was in a restaurant in Chinatown, New York, and some local Tongs saw him in there. And they recognized him because Tang Sang was, had been in the newspapers and he was kind of a big dude. Like, he was a dude you noticed. And suddenly, Tang Sang's table was surrounded by a bunch of local New York tongs, which more or less gave him the offer of, like, um, we know you're rich. Pay us a bunch of money so you can leave this restaurant. Wow. Okay. And so that meant that for all of the power and, I mean, the immense power that Tang Sang wielded in Hong Kong, it didn't mean shit when he wasn't in his territory. Yeah. And at that moment, Wai Hong walked into the restaurant. And Wai Hong, well, not, not a triad himself, but was extremely well-respected in Chinatown, saw what was going on, walked up, and basically told those, those guys to get the hell out and leave this guy alone, like not this guy, and they left. And so it was by the grace of Wai Hong and Wai Hong's connections that Tang Sang was kind of saved from a very, very weird situation happening in, in New York Chinatown. Yeah. And that gives you an idea of how ballsy the New York Tongs were. Right. Okay? Because you can imagine that if they had done something to him, and any of Tang Sang's boys back in Hong Kong found out about that. There'd be some, there'd be some shit going on between Hong Kong and New York. Yeah, yeah. They didn't, get, they didn't give a shit. Yeah. That's how crazy they were. Uh, another story, uh, this one was told to me by Sifu Lang Tang in the, uh, 
in the 1980s, uh, was a leader of the Hong Fat Society. Hong Fat is a style of martial arts, a combination of Hongga and some kind of Buddhist style. Uh, Fat means Buddha in Chinese, so yeah. Hong Fat. It's like a combination of the Hong style and the Buddha style, Hong Fat. And uh, they're a little culty, to be honest. They're a uh, kind of a, an orthodox Southern style, but the way that they, they like the Hong Fat people in Hong Kong are kind of culty, and they have their little cult. They had in the 80s, they were kind of big here. Um, and so Hong Fat was a legitimate Kung Fu style, but like they were all little kind of Mason-like cults. And um, the leader of the Hong Fat was murdered, I think, by one of the green dragon tongs. Wow. For I don't know what had happened, but they basically took the leader of the Hong Fat society and they tied his hands and his legs behind his back and gagged him and threw him in the East River. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild. This is one of the worst deaths you can imagine because you're drowning and you cannot even, I mean, you cannot swim in that position. So that gives you kind of an idea. It was a very crazy time, but I mean, I, I, those are kind of my two stories that I can tell people where people go, whoa, that's crazy. Um, Outside of that, we would have to talk to someone who's an actual expert um, there was a guy named Eddie Coe back in, I think, in the 20s or 30s, who was like a big Tong leader in New York. And there's a photo of him back from that time, I think from the 20s or 30s, although I could have the date wrong. I've seen the photo. And, and there's just a photo of him. He just looks like such a gangster. He has his hair slicked. He's like this like, like very well-dressed Chinese gentleman. He had his hair slicked back. Uh-huh. He had these round, thick glasses, like... Uh, the the um, the frame is thick, but they're kind of round, like yeah. almost John Lennon glasses, but with a thick black frame. Yeah. And he was wearing this like suit, and he's holding two butterfly swords. And he's just <sighs> holding them like this. And you look at this guy, and he just looks like some psycho out of a movie, like kind of a um, Gangs of New York, like yeah. Daniel Day Lewis's character, but Chinese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just imagine like he's just this guy who's very well dressed probably very well spoken yeah and but you cross him and he just chops your arm off without even like flinching like you just kind of got this vibe from that guy and you go ooh. so there's definitely something there if there is an expert on this topic that any of our podcast listeners uh could hook me up with where i can do an interview because i would i I don't want to just do a book i I could do a good book report on this and talk about it yeah Um, but then i don't have access to anything that other people don't have access to but if there's an actual expert here in new york who knows that stuff and you guys out there know it please by all means recommend it i would love to actually literally sit and talk to someone about new york tongs uh, and the history and all these kind of sordid stories, because I think this stuff is fascinating. Yeah, I was going to say, an interview for that would be awesome if we could yeah. get that one going somewhere. Yeah. Please, I'm still, it? we're going to Hong Kong in August. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm leading the tour, all right, which all that info is in the description below. Uh, you guys can come with me on the seven-day Ultimate Hong Kong Kung Fu Tour. And uh, I think we're going to record an episode of the KFG from Hong Kong. We might record two, right? Yeah, we might record two, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, uh, I don't want to do Ask Me Anything episodes from there because Ask Me Anything episodes I can do anywhere. I'm mm-hmm. thinking like interviews, people, something interesting. Yeah. So uh, I still haven't decided what that is. If you guys out there have an idea, by all means, write that in the comments below. KFG is going to be in Hong Kong. We could uh, potentially record two episodes over there. Uh, who would you like me to interview? Who would you like me to talk to? Where would you like me to go? What would you like me to do? And it's not confirmed yet. But we do have 
uh, one very cool dude coming on this tour. Ooh, All right. well, that's not me. No, you're coming. Everyone knows that. All right. Hopefully, hopefully Dre's coming if he can get, if he can, you know. Uh, he's going to have to apologize. He's going to have to apologize. Uh, no, I'm just going to say this one really cool dude. Uh, pretty sure he's coming. Uh, yeah, I mean, we chat about it all the time. I'm definite he's going to come. He just hasn't booked it yet. Right. Uh, he's a very cool YouTube. Uh, not you. Well, he's also big on YouTube, but he's a cool on Instagram. And I have, um, I even may have done a reel with him. All right? No, really? So don't say anything. Oh, I'm not going to say a mouth. word. I'm not going right? to say a word, but that oh, would be gonna, amazing. Yeah, he's going to come, which means we might shoot some reels in Hong Kong and oh, do some I would love cool to kung fu movie shit. Together, yeah. You know what I mean? that so would anyway, be amazing. Uh, guys, yeah. come to Hong Kong. Yeah, all right? I actually Look, go you can now come to Hong Kong. We can now travel there. I have a seven-day tour where we're going to do all the Wing Chun stuff, Bruce Lee stuff. I'm going to show you everything. I'm going to give you the best tour of Hong Kong in seven days. I'm staying in Hong Kong a little bit longer because it's also a vacation for me. But for seven of those days, you can um, hang out with me for most of the day. I'm going to take you to all the spots. I'm gonna, we're going to have great food. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And uh, do some training, some Wing Chun training, some training with Maxifu. All the information is on my website, citywt.com. That info is in the description below. You click on it. You go to the link, you put your information. I will send you two PDFs automatically. One PDF is an overview of the trip, kind of shows you what we're going to do, more or less, with the pricing. And then the second PDF, which usually gets it's automated email, it comes like 15 minutes after the first one, has all the nitty-gritty about what you need to consider before you come to Hong Kong. And the links to purchase the tour are in there. It's just for the tour, obviously, uh, I'm not covering uh, airfare and uh, um, hotel and, and food and stuff like that. This is just for the seven days with the Kung Fu Genius. And there are a couple different packages. There are discounts for people who want to come with more than one person. All that info is below. I'm super excited about this. I have not been to Hong Kong since, the, since 2019, since before the virus of unknown origins. And um, I'm so excited to go back and to share Hong Kong with a new group of people, including people outside of City Wing Chun. So I'm super excited about that. Absolutely. Yeah, this uh, is going to be a great one. It's going to be great. Yeah. And you were the first one to book it, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Just like straight in. All right. Okay. What else we got? Are you an instructor from the WT Wing Chun line and are confused about aspects of your Wing Chun training? Do you have questions about application, Guo Sao, Lat Sao, or how to train or teach Chi Sao? Do you need help with your curriculum or just guidance to push past your current skill level? Please consider coming to Florida and doing an immersion course with me. Immersion courses are 20 private lessons taught in five days in a very serious and intensive manner. These are done in my Florida home so you can stay there and focus on your training in the sunshine. Courses are individually crafted to your needs after we have a consultation. No politics, no nonsense, just serious training. Click the link in the description of this episode to find out more about immersion training with me in Florida. I'm currently filling up spots for March and April of 2023, so apply today to get one of those dates. Spots are limited because of my schedule, so book before the end of February 2023. Again, the link for immersion training in Florida is in the description below, and I'll see you in the sunshine. All right, okay, so uh, nice. Um, Matt Attack. Matt Attack. Matt Attack, we like Matt Attack. Okay, just saw two freaking awesome movies with Chen Quan Tai. Mm -hmm. Flying Guillotine and Executioners from Shaolin. Yes. Some very familiar stance training in that latter one. Uh-huh. That's, it's actually more of a statement. By right. A comment, I guess. But yes. yeah, so that's what he said. 
Yeah, it's also Chen Guan Tai or Chen Quan Tai, as most people pronounce it. Uh, we talked about him on a previous episode of the podcast. Huge fan of his. Uh, he was a le- he is a legit martial arts practitioner, not just an actor. Um, from the Tai Sing Pequar lineage, also was a full contact fighter. Dude was no joke. There are photos of him with Bruce Lee and stuff. Well, I love all of Chan Gun Tai's movies. He's, he's really fantastic. And he's still around. He hangs out in Hong Kong, and you'll occasionally see him cameo in films from time to time. And uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe uh, we'll figure out a way to hang out with him in Hong Kong. So anyway, what else okay, you got? Cool. Okay, all right. Yeah, so um, Pinoro, that's the name. Mm-hmm. So um, when I heard the question about the last good kung fu movie, I hoped your answer will be Kung Fu Jungle. Another one that I find it really good was Wuxia, released in US as Dragon, a martial arts crime story with Donnie Yen and Takeshi Kanahiro. Did you like it? Uh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I still think that uh, Kung Fu Jungle, aka Kung Fu Killer, is probably like the last real Kung Fu movie. And yes, there have been kung fu movies since, but for me, that's like the last one that really just feels that like old school. Really, it's really great, good, though, isn't and they, it? they managed to figure out the perfect way to make kung fu in the modern day. Yeah, you know, because um, it's like this kind of serial killer who's like doing kung fu, and they need the kung fu guy to figure out how, how and when, and who he's going to kill next, and all that stuff. Um, Wu Xia, um, which yeah had that alternate terrible American title, Dragon or something like that, and they always. American titles always so stupid. You put dragon or kill or death or something in the title, and that's usually good. Um, that is kind of almost like a kung fu CSI, like it's it, it, uh, but set back in the day, and it it's a little bit like the movie The History of Violence. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, that. Oh yeah, I love that film. Where it's like uh, you don't know is the you know spoiler alert is the main guy. Was he this badass killer, or is he just this guy in a village? It's kind of that's kind of the story, right? So you, you, the movie is kind of going like they're kind of making it seem like he was this badass guy, but no, he's just kind of this family guy. No, that's not him. So it's a little bit like a whodunit. I, when I first saw it, I, I I thought it was great. I loved it. I, you know, I thought it's beautifully shot. Beautifully shot. It was a great movie. I really really liked it. I watched it again over the pandemic, uh, which was the, the only time I had seen it since I originally saw it many, many years ago. And for whatever reason, I just felt it didn't hold up. Um, the first time I watched it, I, was, I remember being blown away. I'm like, oh my God, it's so good. Finally, Donnie Yen did something good that wasn't IP man, right? And I was like, oh, it's a great movie. It's good, good action. The story's good. It's interesting. It's a little bit of a mystery or whatever. And I don't know if it's because it's one of those movies like The Sixth Sense, when you know what it is, like like the next time you watch it, you're like, oh God, this is so obvious, right? <laughs> uh, so it, you kind of, it kind of loses that a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know if it was that, but I also just, uh, I just found the film just not as compelling as I did the first time. And also I forgot that Jimmy Wang Yu was the villain at the end, and I, I fucking hate Jimmy Wang Yu. Sorry, <laughs> I know he passed away. I just, I just like Jimmy Wang Yu is the Chinese David Carradine. It's like, yeah, the reason why you like him is because he was first, but that, but not because he was good. It was like, yeah, well, I, you know, I saw David Carradine, and they told you, yeah, it's called the primacy effect. The first thing you see 
is usually the thing that has the greatest effect on you in terms of that particular thing, right? So for many Americans who grew up at that time, their first foray into Kung Fu was David Carradine's Kung Fu TV series. So for them, they're like, wow. And then when they saw Bruce Lee, it was like an extension, a better, it was like, wow, look at that. And then it just went on from them, from there. But uh, David Carradine will still forever be their introduction into Kung Fu and will always have that, that thing, right? Uh, that's called the primacy effect. And for a small demographic of Chinese Kung Fu fans, some of their early movies, their early exposure was through Jimmy Wang Yu, all right? Like David Carradine, Jimmy Wang Yu is not a martial artist, all right? Like David Carradine, Jimmy Wang Yu is a fucking nutter as a human being. Um, atrocious, a wife beater, a gangster, someone who would get into fights for no reason. You know, he kind of reminds me of um, uh, when you watch South Park. What was that one episode uh, where, um, is it, it's not Kyle's dad, um, where he was getting in fights with everyone at the ball game? Like, what are you looking at? And then he would just get enough, he would just punch him, right? And then suddenly, like, like that's kind of what Jimmy Wang Yu was like. He would just constantly get into fights with people. But he also beat the living shit out of his wife. Classy. And for me, that's always the red line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right? Sure. Like, you can be an asshole, get in bar fights or whatever, but you lay hands on a woman and go, f*** mm-hmm. and, and, and And I, I, I am just not a Jimmy Wang Yu fan. And I think that, you know, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, this Jimmy Wang Yu, I didn't pay too much attention. Since I had seen the movie, I had learned all sorts of horrific details about Jimmy Wang Yu. And I think then watching, it was like, oh, right, I forgot he's in this movie. So for whatever reason, I just felt it didn't hold up. Although I have to admit, the first time I saw that film, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. So I would assume a lot of people who see that movie for the first time would be like, wow. All right, just don't watch it again. Yeah, our second time I watched that film was actually a watch party with Bay Logan. That's right, where he did the commentary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was really, really cool. I didn't have any good questions for him afterwards. I felt disappointed. Right, right. But he commented me on my Flash t-shirt. He was like, oh, Mikey Dean with the Flash t-shirt. I don't think he realized I knew you. I just was like, I know someone you know. <laughs> and, you really have cool. the, and you have the same accent. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So he didn't you guys always get excited either. about finding someone else with the same accent. Oh, that's what's going to happen when I meet him in right. Hong Kong. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, accents. We're not excited about people with accents when we're out elsewhere. It's only if we like each other. We right. come, if we come, what's the word? If we come recommended by somebody else, yes. then generally it's okay. But if I hear of an English accent like... On the street, I'm like, don't, don't, you don't say anything. I don't want them to hear me because it's like Brits abroad. It's very embarrassing. Yeah, sure. Well, it's just like Americans abroad. Yeah. All right. When I'm in Hong Kong and I see some Americans there, or in Europe and I hear Americans, I'm like, oh my god, I put my head down. But I also put my head down when I hear Germans abroad. Mm-hmm. I remember one time, uh, and I probably told the story on the podcast, but it just sticks out in my mind. I was in Hong Kong uh, around 2014. And I was taking a bus ride to uh, the south side of Hong Kong Island, to Stanley, which is beautiful. Hong Kong Island, you know, on the north side, that's where all the buildings are. It's like the Manhattan of Hong Kong. And on the south side, you have all these beaches and all this cool. And that's also where, like, Enter the, uh, Enter the Dragon was shot and stuff like that. And uh, you can, and now they actually have a train that goes through the, uh, through the island. But back then, usually took, like, a bus to kind of go around the edge of the island because the middle is very high, right? So you take this 
bus around the edge and you're very high up and the bus is like on these two lane streets and you look over and it's like, you know, the, the bus is like going really fast and you look over and it's like this very precipitous drop <laughs> on the side. And you're like, oh my God. But it's beautiful. You when, when you see the water and you see all these little islands, yeah, it's yeah. so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I just remember I was like sitting there waiting to go, I think to go to Stanley and uh, Stanley Beach and, uh, there were these two German tourists uh, sitting in front of me. Now, one of the curses of having learned, because I lived in Germany for three years and I learned to speak German during my time in Germany, obviously. And one of the curses of learning to speak German is that you understand German. <laughs> yep. And uh, so I was sitting, you know, and like looking out the way, and mind you, by 2014, I had already been to Hong Kong multiple times. I had already seen this view, but it's one of those things that every time you see it, you just stop and you look and you go, wow, this world is beautiful. There are so many beautiful things to look at. And I've seen this before and I still just want to stop and look at it. Mm -hmm. And these two German tourists, these two young girls, they were like, they couldn't be old. They couldn't have been older than 30. They were probably in their late twenties. So they're not like super, super, like they're not like, like teenies and they're not like old fart tourists. They're kind of like youngish tourists. And the entire 30 minute ride, the two of them were complaining about German tax law. <laughs> they were complaining about how many taxes they pay, how much money is taken out. And then they were going into the intricacies of German tax law, going like, I know, right? And saying all this stuff and then just really getting into the weeds and um, and unfortunately, I can understand every single thing they're saying while I'm trying to look at this beautiful view that's outside. And I'm just like, I just want to say, hey, ladies, all right? I want to say in German to them, hey, ladies, you're not in Germany now. The German tax laws cannot hurt you in this moment. Turn your head to the right and look at all that beautiful glory. And shut the f*** up. Man, that's the best ASMR I think I've ever heard Thank you do. Thank you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm half German, so I'm allowed to complain about Germans without getting canceled. That's cool. I'm All English, right? so I'm allowed to complain about there you Germans go. without getting canceled. Germans complain about everything when they're in a foreign country not being like it is back in Germany, which is just the most mind-blowing shit to me. Yeah. Like, they come to the States, they order water, and uh, they don't get, maybe the restaurant doesn't have sparkling water. They only have tap water, but you don't get tap water in Germany. It's like, ah, ah. It's like, dude, you're not in Germany. Calm down. Do you expect everything? If every place was like Germany that you went to, then why would you ever want to travel anywhere else? Yep. See also Americans and English people. Yes. It's All right. Exactly no, it's the same. But it's just like, you know, it, it's super, super annoying. It's Very like obnoxious. your complaint is... The place you traveled to at great expense is not like the place you came from. All right. Anyway, yeah, back could, to Kung Fu. Yeah, we could go on further. <laughs> back a, to Kung Fu. There's a whole other podcast series that we're actually going to start. Yeah. I'm kidding. Bitching about, <laughs> we'll call it bitching about foreigners. It'll last <laughs> one episode and we'll get canceled. Absolutely. All right. Separate to this, so yes. you can only cancel us for uh, that. By foreigners, we mean our, our own ethnicities. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No one else. We're not here to, like, you know, just, It's just going to be me bitching about Germans and Cubans. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, my Eskimos. God, let me tell you about the damn Cubans in Miami. Absolutely. Right? Oh, no, and the Eskimos. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's All right. go. Okay, so, yeah, um, Carl Playford. 
You could be right about Bruce dubbing the monk scene around the time of his first collapse. The audio is actually incomplete. It's on the Criterion Blu-ray you can watch with the Bruce audio. So maybe he went to the bathroom, LOL. Yeah, uh, that's kind of a callback to a previous episode where I suspected that Bruce's May 10th collapse, which happened while he was dubbing uh, his voice for Enter the Dragon, uh, I kind of suspected that that might have been that monk scene um, because it's incomplete. That's why they later had to redub it with other voice actors. It did not have Bruce's voice. Um, but then there's other things that say, well, uh, other people that say, well, that scene wasn't in the original cut, but... Uh, I still think they would have dubbed it even if it got cut later. So yeah, that's a very, I mean, it, it's possible that when Bruce had his collapse, that that was the scene that was, that he was to record, that scene with the monk at Qingshan Monastery, which, by the way, is one of the stops on the ultimate Hong Kong Kung Fu tour. Uh, we're going to go to the finger pointing way to the moon monastery. Nice. All right, and I'll take it. You can literally walk that same path that Bruce Lee walked with his teacher, and you can go to the same spot where he sits with Braithwaite, where he says it's Lao's time, all right? So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Excellent. So um, this is very much the, uh, the comment episode. Yeah. We've got Thomas Macaluso. Great comment, this one. Thankfully, JKD doesn't have political division like Wing Chun, just one big happy family. <laughs> <laughs> A very sarcastic emoji. Yeah, like yeah that. that's funny, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, when you... I mean, it, it depends on how much you get into this stuff, right? Obviously, JKD has a lot of very deep divides. You have the, you know, the, the, the standard dichotomy of concepts versus uh, uh, original JKD. And then, you know, and then, of course, there's also a third category, which is like, no, 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 that divide doesn't exist. There's just JKD. But they're so militant about that, it becomes a third category. <laughs> All right, like, like people don't realize, like... No, you actually just created a third category, right? Well done. Yeah, well done, right? The, no, 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 the, the, the division is bullshit. There's just JKD, okay? Well, I guarantee you that whatever you teach will be at odds with either one of those two camps, making you a third camp, right? There's obviously political divisions in Wing Chun, but there's political divisions in anything. This is a human thing. I mean, look at what happened to Kempo Karate after Ed Parker died. Um, you cannot tell me that there are not political divisions in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, though, because it's becoming more and more of a sport, those political divisions are less and less important because it's just about, it's more about teams, and these teams compete, and you either win or you lose. Um, but, you know, th there are divisions within the Gracie family. There are uh, disagreements in terms of uh, how much did Helio Gracie contribute versus Carlos uh, Gracie, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, the thing is, like, to pretend that martial arts, which involve humans, can somehow develop, you know, without political issues is kind of a pipe dream. There are political divisions in Kyokushin Karate, both pre-Masoyama's death and post-Masoyama's death, right? There are divisions in Judo. Uh, Jigoro Kano, uh, the founder of Judo, didn't believe that there should be weight classes in judo because he felt that that would diminish uh, its focus on self-defense, right? That you're only fighting people your size and your weight. Um, he also felt that um, turning judo into a sport would be the death of judo. Yeah. Judo's an Olympic sport. So it can be argued that the entire Olympic project of judo is completely... Uh, contrary to the 
the wants and desires of the founder of judo. So tell me any martial art that doesn't have any division. I they do their Tai Chi guys who argue about the Yang 24 form. And, those, and they're not talking about how to use it in fighting. Like they're people who are going to argue hand placement and timing. So, I mean, tell me any martial art where this doesn't exist. There is no Jainism of martial arts. All right. <laughs> the, the Jains being the most peaceful uh, and nonviolent of all uh, uh, religions. You know, they will even put like a cheesecloth over their mouth so as to not accidentally ingest a bug. Uh, there is no, there are no Janes of martial arts. <laughs> Everyone, to a certain degree, feels that um, what they do has an edge. The more introspective people, obviously, don't have that view. They look at, you know, martial arts as, you know, you're only as good as you train. There are many different ways of applying martial arts. You have to apply martial arts differently according to different body types, so on and so forth. Some people might like to grapple. Some people like to punch and kick. They have this more open view, um, but outside of people who kind of have that view, most people believe if they do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that they also do it at the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school you possibly could be at. If they do Wing Chun, well, that wing, the, the one Wing Chun school in their town, the only one, all right, happens to also be the correct one, by the way, out yeah. of pure coincidence. Mm -hmm. So just like, you know, the, the religion that they grew up with also happens to be the only real one. Forget all the competing religions all around the entire world, which have the truth claims are on the same level as yours. Uh, this one that you found is, in fact, the right one because it's the one you found. It were very solipsistic in that kind of way. So, um, yeah, I would love to to see a martial art that doesn't have political divisions. You know, the funny thing is, is a, a mutual friend of ours who also happened to be an ex-student of yours, um, who's moved away and since got into a jujitsu. Uh -huh. um, just, I chat with him every so often. And, um, and um, I asked him how his BJJ was going and his response was, I don't do BJJ, I do Gracie jujitsu. Uh -huh. Right. Like, and I was like, yeah, of course. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, like, I course. mean, like, yes, cool. but I think I'm he like, since now does BJJ. Yeah, and I'm just like, I was yeah. just, I was like, uh, okay, cool, like, right. that's fine. I was like, how's that going? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. like minorly offended. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh. Well, of course, but but there, but there you see, that's exactly it. Yeah. All right. First of all, you you come to it from an outsider. Mm -hmm. It's like people who say like, oh, you, you teach Kung Fu, what belt do you have, right? Yeah. Well, if someone doesn't know, I can't be like, Kung Fu doesn't have belts, and I actually teach Wing Chun. You know what I mean? It's like, calm down, buddy. All mm -hmm. right. There's an entire world, quite literally an entire world of people who don't pay any attention to what you do. Yeah. And the fact that they're asking you means that they have some interest. So maybe don't shit on them when they ask you. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? But, th but that's how the sausage of political discourse is made. Within the uh, jiu-jitsu world, you know, people who practice uh, Helio Gracie jiu-jitsu really want to keep it as Gracie jiu-jitsu because that was the original branding before it just became big and then it became Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So they have, to a certain degree, tried to do what Sifu Langting did, like the W-I-N-G-C-H-U-N spelling is the generic spelling of Wing Chun and the W-I-N-G-T-S-U-N spelling is spe specifically the brand of Langting Wing Chun. Whereas like Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is like this premier brand of Jiu-Jitsu and BJJ is the generic shit everyone else does that 
doesn't care about self-defense and only cares about sport fighting or whatever. But the thing is that that is a very common thing to say. Yeah. Um, although I think that the student you are talking to, he has since moved and he actually now does go to a BJJ school. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, but, but, I but I mean, ask him if he gets offended again. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, to be fair, I mean, that was also me 15 years ago. You know, you know, if someone said, well, what belt do you have in Kung Fu? I'd be like, Kung Fu doesn't have belts. And I, I do wake like, like, you know, at some point you just go like, dude, someone who doesn't know shit asks you a question about what you do, either out of politeness or curiosity. So don't, don't shit on them. You could say like, oh, that's actually really great. Um, you know, my teacher actually says we're supposed to call it Gracie Jiu-Jitsu because he kind of feels that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is the watered down version everyone else does. So, yeah, you know, like. You could easily couch it in a way where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing great. By the way, my teacher says we should actually call it this. But it's this kind of, it's this kind of like reactionary thing. Like, it's crazy jiu-jitsu. It's WT. It's not WC. It's not water closet, toilet, wing chun. Blah, 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 blah. We don't have belts. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, yo, yo, we're talking about hobbies. Take a big, deep breath. Come the Absolutely. All right. What else you got? All right. We've got time for one more. All right. One more. Well, I mean, we just haven't been having that. We've had the questions we've had have been really good, to be fair, but we haven't had a lot of questions. So I think this might end up being a nice comment to finish off okay. with. So, Axel Stone. Axel Stone in the house. A little call back to a comment about 10 minutes ago in the podcast. It would have been great to come to Hong Kong and see the monastery where Bruce actually walked. That would feel surreal, but it would be a great trip. I don't have the money, unfortunately. By the way, Alex, when are you going to make that funny video saying, hey, I'm Alex Richter, Wing Chun instructor and hardcore Bruce Lee fan, and I'm going to prove I could carry him from Betty's ap apartment to the hospital faster than the ambulance. Here I go, then have someone the same weight at the time, and I want you to be wearing the, the Game of Death tracksuit running to the hospital with no easy way out, playing with dramatic slow-mo shots. Man, I can see it now. Please do it for the fans and for Bruce, LOL. Yeah. So uh, this is a callback to uh, a while ago in the podcast where yeah. I, I kind of had this idea of like, all right, um, Bruce Lee, uh, you know, has this medical event at Betty Tingpei's apartment, which is on Beacon Hill Road, kind of at the very end of Kowloon Tong, right before the big... The big mountain, which kind of divides Kowloon to the new territories, at least to Sha Tin. And there, is a, there was a hospital very close to Betty Tingpei's apartment. That's the Baptist Hospital, which is part of the Baptist University, which also Sifu Leung Ting taught Wing Chun at. And the hospital they end up taking Bruce to, Queen's Elizabeth, is like way all the way further downtown into Kowloon. It's like much closer to where Leung Ting's gym is nowadays. Um, and actually it was interesting when I went to Hong Kong last time with the students, we stayed in a Airbnb, like right across from Queens Elizabeth hospital. And when I got there with Dre and all those other guys, we looked out the window and there was a hospital there. I go, do you see that hospital? And they're like, yeah. I go, do you know why that hospital's special? And they go, no, like that's where Bruce Lee died. And they're like, wow, well actually he didn't die there. He was already dead when, when they <laughs> took him to that hospital. Right? So then the question was always like, why didn't why didn't they just take Bruce to Baptist Hospital? Because you have to imagine, you know, for, for uh, New Yorkers, you know, or people familiar to New York, to give you an idea, my school is here on 6th Avenue and 38th Street. 
Okay, and New York is a grid where, you know, going uptown is 38, 39, 40, 41, like this, and all the avenues go kind of uptown, downtown, right? And so uh, Times Square, the famous Times Square that everyone knows, is quite literally three blocks that way and one block that way. It's very close, all right? Like, you can, you can walk to, I, go, I get off at the Times Square station to come to City Wing Chun. And you have to imagine that Betty Ting Pei's apartment is City Wing Chun, and Baptist Hospital is right there at 42nd Street. It's right there. But they opted to go to a hospital that's in Soho, which is all the way downtown, all the way downtown. We're talking yeah. like 10 minutes on the subway once you're on the subway. So it's always like, well, obviously, part of the reason is Bruce was already dead in Betty's apartment. So it was a non-issue what hospital they send his corpse to, all right? Second, there was also some story like, uh, you know, maybe they would not be able to be as discreet about it if they went to the local hospital. Like, this is a lot of like this and that or whatever. But for me, the real reason is he was already dead. So what, what, you can't fix dead. What does it matter if you go to this hospital or that hospital? But we had this kind of challenge, all right? What if Bruce Lee had just passed out? His brain is starting to swell. He is not yet dead. You're at Betty Ting Pei's apartment. You do not have access to a car. Bruce at that time weighed 120 pounds, soaking wet. Could you take a 120-pound man soaking wet on your back from Betty Ting Pei's apartment to Baptist Universe or Baptist Hospital? Okay. Now, if uh, I, I don't know if the you know my my dates and info might be wrong, all right? but you guys can, can put this in Google Maps, all right? I believe Betty Ting Pei's apartment was 77 Beacon Hill Road in Kowloon Tong. I think it was 77. If not, if you put 77, it's the same block. It's more or less, but I think she was 77. Of course, I don't know if time, you, can always, you can Google what was Betty Ting Pei's apartment, something, something Beacon Hill. I think it was 77. Type in 77 Beacon Hill Road, Kowloon Tong in Google Maps, and then type in directions, walking, Baptist Hospital. And you're gonna see it's very close, all right? But what the map doesn't really show you is that it's, it's a little bit of a hilly area, but it's mostly downhill from Betty's place to Baptist Hospital. So I postulate that a somewhat sturdy human being could 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 get, could like fireman roll Bruce Lee onto the back, which is a technique, put him on the back and literally run him to University Hospital time. So we have this kind of, we had this kind of joke that next time we're in Hong Kong, we're gonna go to Betty's apartment and we'll have to get someone or a weight that's 120 pounds and walk it. And this uh, IG slash YouTuber who's coming or potentially coming to Hong Kong wants to do that. <laughs> so we might do it maybe as a race. That would be amazing. We just have to find a bunch of people who weigh a buck 20. So we'll have to go up to random people. How much you weigh? How much you weigh? Hey, do you have half an hour to waste with a bunch of idiot foreigners? Well, let's see, let's see what the final, uh, final tally of people, uh, the final like, uh, 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 register of people for the uh, trip is because I can think of maybe one or two people that may or may not be coming that would fit the bill. Right, right. You know and then mean? the idea is, yeah, how long would it take you to go from 77 Beacon Hill Road to Baptist Hospital with a 120-pound dude 
or do that on your back. Tell you what, right? I'm I'm supposed to be training for my triathlon in October once yes. I get over this. No, no, no. If you're up. gonna if you're gonna do the race, you're doing it with me on your back. Sorry. <laughs> how how much do you weigh though? I weigh 165 pounds. So you got bloated Bruce Lee. I can do that. Yes. Yeah. I can all right. Do that. And that's okay. all I've got to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we'll do it to the music. Yep. We'll make the, I think Axel Stone's suggestion is awesome. Yeah, I think that would right, be cool. awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, that's all I got to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any questions for me to answer on a future episode, go ahead and write them in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seekung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. Got the clap. One, two, three. Ow! Oh, All right. Nice one. Okay, cool. All right. Why does it burn? <laughs> All right, okay. Ugh, my eyes, the goggles, they do nothing. <laughs> when I heard the question about the last good Kung Fu meet, oh, see, I can't read all of a sudden. When I heard the last question, let's try this again. Andrew, you can cut that out. No, you can leave it in. I'm, I'm being useless. Wow, when you said ass, I could actually see A-R-S-E in the subtitles, as you said it. Bruce Lee beaten Bolo's ass. Suddenly realized, you know what? I can't pretend anymore. If I'm going to do this, I've got to be me.